right, everyone, I am joined by a very special guest, and he is here to explain the philosophy behind anthology stories, something we've been talking about this entire episode. So, Jordan, who are you? My name is Jordan D. White. I am a senior editor at Marvel Comics. I am currently in charge of the X-Men and their whole family of books. Uh, although I've worked on many, many different things over the years. Star Wars, Deadpool, Guardians of the Galaxy, all sorts of things. Lots of fun things. Things I enjoyed. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, you were uh, on the Star Wars books when Marvel got the license for it. And it kicked off everything back in 2015, I think it was. I think you're right about that. Was that when, oh man, was that when Force Awakens came out? I yeah, can't, I can't remember. Force Awakens was 2014 and... Then Wait, if, this... if it was 2014, then that means we we started the January before Force Awakens came out. Oh, so wow. if it was 2014, then that means no, that can't, it couldn't have been 2014. I think Force Awakens was 2014. I'm looking it up. Okay, no, it's 2015. So okay. so that means we, we started January 2015 uh, releasing them. I started yes. working on them um before that but yeah it was a blast to work on those it was such a thrill such a thrill um going and working with lucasfilm hearing about all their plans and coming up with our own corresponding plans it was absolutely epic um i mean you're not here to hear about star wars but i'm here to hear about anything (laughs) and um lucasfilm is its own fascinating entity Mm -hmm. within disney and then even before then yeah so oh yeah um the story of there's this book um uh uh, called the the making of Star Wars, the really big coffee table yeah. book that um, that that uh, uh, I forget his middle initial J is it J D Rinsler, um, which I who I did get to meet when I was at Lucasfilm, unfortunately before he passed or before he unfortunately passed I should say, um, but that book is incredible because um, the story of the making of Star Wars is so fascinating because. Like honestly, I I've said this on other podcasts I think before, so I'm not I'm not throwing away a million dollar idea, although I want them to just make it. I am shocked that Lucasfilm has never made a movie, a dramatized movie about the making of Star Wars, because it's an amazing and fascinating story about this guy with a vision that no one believes in. Like every every person with money, except for one, is going, this is not going to work. The people like in the movie are like, I hope this works. Like the people, and then meanwhile, they're like building structures that will revolutionize all of filmmaking, like these special effects, special effects companies, like like filming techniques, all these things. He finally makes the movie. It is the most successful movie ever, and everyone loves it except him. He's like, all I can see is the flaws. It's not the way I wanted it. Like it's an amazing, yeah, amazing story. And I loved it. I, I read it um, over the pandemic and uh, and I got about halfway through the second one, the, the Empire one. And I, yeah. I do mean to finish it. I just haven't gotten around to it. But it's again, it's just so compelling because it's, it's this great story about someone with an artistic vision, like going like, I'm going to make this happen no matter what. And like all these roadblocks and he keeps getting through them. It's so great. Why are we talking about George well, Lucas? <laughs> no, well, George Lucas is he's wonderful. He's I mean, he's connected to something I'm working on. But first of all, if you haven't read the biography by Brian J. Jones. Oh, no, I haven't. George Lucas. Um, he is a solid biographer, and um, he does his homework. It It's very good. Um, he also did one on Jim Henson. So oh, okay. He's one of my favorite biographers out there. Um, but George Lucas, tangentially related to a book I'm writing about Linda Ronstadt, 
because oh. they were in a relationship for years. What? Yes. <laughs> yes. They were engaged. What? In the 80s. <laughs> and there's this fascinating little tidbit that Brian threw into his biography on George Lucas, where um, Linda Ronstead for years as her purse would carry around one of those tin Empire Strikes Back lunchboxes. That's amazing. As her purse. So um, I had no idea. That's that's crazy. Yes. And um, a similar artistic trait where she doesn't like anything that she has ever made. I mean, there are interviews where she's like, nope, I sang like trash, just like George Lucas says, like, <laughs> oh, no, like we put it together, but I don't like that final product. Yeah. So. Yeah. All he could see is the flaws, the things that he wanted to put on screen and couldn't. And it was just like, that's it's like a tragedy um, because it's the most successful thing in the world. Yeah. Everyone loves it. Yeah. Oh, man. Man. So you got to get the ball rolling on all the Star Wars comics. That I mean, they're huge. Um, yeah. There are so many titles right now. And oh, yeah. I mean, right now they've gone way past anything I ever touched at all. I mean, you know, I but I, I got to get the ball rolling and kind of set up, help set up like how we were going to do it in general. The fact that, for example, um, we 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 were like very determined to say we want you guys know Star Wars, obviously, and you guys do Star Wars so incredibly well, but we do Marvel Comics really well. And we want to bring what we know about how to make successful Marvel Comics to the Star Wars comics. And one of them, for example, was going, uh, even though we will probably do and will do stories that span the entire timeline of Star Wars, we want to have a core uh, a core of our Star Wars books that has a present so that we can do things like have stories cross over or like have characters appear from one in the other that we, and so that's why we started that thing of going like, okay, the main books are all going to take place right in this specific time, right after the first movie. Um, and that's, that continues to this day. They're not right after the first movie anymore. They're now um, between empire and Jedi, but that, yeah, they, they are still doing that going like, let's do a core of books that all have a present time, even though star Wars issues that normally. Yeah. Um, and also so much fun things. We had such a great time working with them. They're they're very they're very cool people. They're well they're let me tell you their their headquarters is amazing. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean it was made by George Lucas who is yeah. a, a, a who's one two of his favorite things are are movies and architecture. So they're amazing architecture and like the the walls are decorated with all of these amazing classic movie posters from uh, from his personal collection from like around the world. It's it, just walking around there is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And I, I do miss it. I do miss. That's the one thing about about being on X-Men is I do miss getting to go visit Lucasfilm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, on a Star Wars related note, but connected to something that you do um, mm. when they're originally casting A New Hope, which was just Star Wars back then. They were in a joint casting session for Carrie at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. And you that. have your own podcast covering some of the beloved horror classics coming out of the seventies and eighties. So, what's going on with your podcast right now? Well, right now, so yeah, we um, as we record this, I'm not sure exactly when it's coming out, but as we record this, we've just finished um, going through. It's, it's it's called Nature Trail to Hell, and the concept is that I really enjoy horror movies, and a friend of mine, Stefan. Um, He's a big movie guy, but he's he hasn't seen as many horror movies as me, not even close. And there's a wh whole bunch of movie franchises, horror franchises that he's never seen any of. And when we realized, honestly, it actually started from me going on Facebook, going like saying something like, I wish I had an excuse to like talk more about 
Friday the 13th movies because I like thinking about them so much. And he was like, I've never seen them. Let's do a podcast. And I went, okay. And we did that. We got, went through all of Friday the 13th. Um, and then a couple of bonuses for that first season. Then we just start finishing up going through all of the Texas Chainsaw films. Very few of which I had actually seen. I only seen like three or four of them. Um, but now we've watched and discussed all of them. We're about to do the bonus episodes of that. And when does this come out? This is coming out a week from today. So we're coming out at the end of March. Okay, end of March. So so we're we come out. We try to come out every Friday when we're releasing. Um, so I think we might have like one more episode left. And in that episode, we'll be covering uh, the bonus episodes we did for Texas Chainsaw were House of a Thousand Corpses and X. And um, in the X one, we will at the end of the thing uh, reveal slash decide what we're going to do for our next season. And so I'm excited for that. too. I can't wait. Listening along with both of you is uh a really compelling reason to explore the movies I haven't seen either. So that's awesome. And I had seen most of the Friday the 13th, but it gave me a reason to go back to some of those ones that aren't in heavy rotation um, because some of them are a little rough to get through. Um, But it gave me a chance to look at them through a different lens and say, okay, I can appreciate some of the things that I've overlooked before. It was interesting too, because again, so the, the Fridays, I don't absolutely adore every single film but i adore the franchise as a whole so i'm happy to talk about even the ones i don't think are that great um to shift to texas chainsaw where i hadn't seen all of them like not even close and it was 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 crazy because i like i don't know i don't know uh, this is going to sound mean but i don't know what people see in them i don't hate them i'm not going to sit here and say i don't hate i don't hate them but like i get Friday the 13th, hundred percent. Cause I'm, I'm the fan. Like I'm one of the people who loves it, but watching them, there's things we liked about them and there's things we didn't, but it's like, what is it that a Texas chainsaw fan is? What is it that they love about this franchise? And I still don't hundred percent know. <laughs> like I, I, there are fun things. Again, there are fun things, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. Exactly. I haven't heard from a ton of them either. So I'm, I'm looking forward to them reaching out at some point. Yeah. And uh, you, uh... I think have a, a lower view of Jason takes Manhattan than I do. Oh, I think it's the worst by a uh, long I, shot. It, I, it is my favorite, but that's oh, because, what? <laughs> um, that is because it was like the only one when you went to go rent a Friday the 13th, it was the only one available. Sure. You'd always default to it. So I think it was one of those elements that, people nowadays don't have to worry about because you can always find it. You can always yeah, find sure. the movie you want. But back in the day when you were growing up and you went to the video store and you needed to drag, like, in my case, my grandma along to be the adult to rent <laughs> the rated R movie, you had a very slim selection of tapes. So, Oh, no, no, man, no. That one's terrible, though. It's just so bad. <laughs> like, that's the one that I said, I remember said, the, I'm a big fan of... Uh, the Star Wars Minute podcast, and I was mm-hmm. saying I could do a, I could probably do a Friday the Thirteenth one on all the movies, but I, I don't know if there's that much to say because some of them are a little slow. And like, is there something to talk about in every minute? I could talk about Jason Takes Manhattan minute by minute because there is something absolutely terrible that I could go off on forever every single minute like i I think it is dreadful i mean sometimes you just need to go into a cargo hold and just (laughs) slay away on your electric guitar (laughs) and be oblivious and all the weird dream sequences for no reason and that ending oh my god the ending is so bad (laughs) and nonsensical 
then again, I love Jason X. So, uh, you know, yeah. people can slam me for that all they want. <laughs> I um, think Jason X rules and it's not my favorite of them, but it's up there. It's like top three. But people like should give it three. a chance. I think so. Like, again, my my, my co-host, Stefan, he did not think Jason X was good at all. So that episode and it was heartbreaking because I went into it going like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. And then and he came back and he was like, well, that was great. But he was like being sarcastic. And I was like, oh, terrific. And he's like, no, no, I thought it was awful. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Before we dive into our main topic. Sure. I yeah, I'm sorry. Touch- Again, I'm sorry for no, a million digressions. I want to touch I, on I'm something else like that you're passionate about that you show Please. mostly on Instagram, um, which is Lego. What oh, sure. Lego sets are you putting together right now or are you looking forward to? Um, great question. Um, well, so I'm at a place right now where I shouldn't buy any <laughs> because I already have so many, like uh, the places where I would keep them are, are overflowing with stuff. Um, like, in fact, can you see, you can see, yeah. I mean, that's, that's just my, my son's like pile of Legos there, but like we have so many everywhere right in front of me. I have a tiny little Gwenpool here. I have the, the, um, the little micro, uh, I can't pick it up. Let me see. The little micro Tatooine from, uh, oh, yeah. from 2021, uh, oh, May, nice. May the 4th. Yeah. Um, so I really shouldn't get any. That said, I'm I'm subscribed to a, a Lego slash Lego imitation uh, 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 mystery crate called uh, Brick Loot, which is real nice. Um, they, they send fun, fun stuff. Um, I, me and my son enjoy doing that. I really want to go back and, and f- track down the, um, the probe droid, oh, yeah. uh, because it, like really nice probe droid, because I, I really enjoy the droids. You can see behind me, I have yeah, R2D2. a bunch of the droids. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't have that, but that's the one I most want to get that I don't currently have. And I'm trying to like slow myself down though, and not, not buy too many stupid things. Cause I just buy so many, uh, the most recent one I bought was I broke down eventually after probably a year and a half of wanting it. And I, I bought most Eisley Cantina. Oh, I know that one's very tempting. It's so expensive, but it's so cool. It took me many sessions, not many, maybe, you know, three or four sessions to, to do it. It comes with so many minifigures, like so many of the, the weird aliens that you see in that scene. Um, and I love it. I'm so thrilled that I got it. I'm looking at the box. That's why I'm looking up to the side. <laughs> yeah. The actual thing is over here. But yeah, it's it's super cool. And I'm so glad I got it. But I'm going to try to like not buy any other big sets anytime soon as a result. Yeah. My partner, who is also my co-host on the podcast, got me Rivendell for my birthday. Oh my gosh. Which has 15 minifigures or something <laughs> like that. It is over 6,000 pieces. It's extreme so i'm slowly chipping away at it because i don't want it to go too fast right because the experience is in the build i feel it is how many pieces is the cantina oh it is (laughs) that's that can't be true Yes, no, it's three thousand. Only yeah, it's only three thousand one hundred eighty-seven. So you said that one's six thousand. Yeah, I separated That's twice all as the, many. Oh my god! I separated all the bags, and there are forty-nine bags. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'll make sure once it's done to post a picture yeah, on our yeah. show Instagram, so people can admire the hundreds of dollars and the hours of work that go into something like that. That's another one. That That's one I got into in the pandemic because 
I was just stressed out about everything mm -hmm. as most people were. And uh, Jerry Duggan, who I work closely with on X-Men uh, and have for a long time since, since he started on Deadpool, um, he sometimes does Lego stuff and he was like, you should try Legos. Like they're suit. They're very calming. And I was like, is that true? So I, I went in going like, I want to do star Wars Legos cause there's so many neat ones. And the, to me, it seems like the vehicles would be the way to get into it. So the very first one I bought, but wasn't the first one I put together was the, um, I don't remember the name of it, but the, the blue speeder from the solo movie, the Han oh, Solo yeah. speeder, I think that's just a really cool design. And I, so I bought that. I was like, that's going to be the first one I put together, but it took too long to get delivered to me. <laughs> so then I went on Amazon and was like, if I order the Luke land speeder from Tatooine, it'll be here like tomorrow. So I just did that. And, I, <laughs> and that was the actual first one I did. Yeah. And since then I've done a ton, way too many. That's when I got into it too. Um, the medieval blacksmith is what drew me into it. Oh, that was a really nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm again, I mostly have Star Wars. Yep. I have a couple of other things, but I have seen that one and that one is really cool looking. It's a nice design. It is. All right. So we are here to talk about anthologies. We're here to raise some funds for Peter David, um, who I'm sure you have met before. Oh, yeah. I worked closely with him a bunch. Um, yeah. I, I worked on uh, X Factor with him. Uh, a couple of times like a couple of times i was on as an assistant editor uh and then i i took over the the x factor before it ended as editor when 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 daniel ketchum stepped off that book uh so i saw it out the rest of that series and then i edited um more than half of all new x factor uh oh great which was a really fun there's a nutty book to do but that was a really yeah. fun way to re-explore re-re-contextualize all of x factor and it was neat yeah. So, yeah. And I actually, I worked with Peter very, very, very early in my career too. What book was that? On when I started, I was on a lot of the like uh, the all ages books, okay. um, Marvel Adventures type books. And also, I, so I definitely worked with him on first class, on some of the first class stuff. I think he did some maybe Wolverine first class uh, that I that I worked on okay. very, very early in my career. Yeah. And, um, to support him, we're covering an issue he had no hand in at all. Okay. That's how it ended up. Um, but he did work on an anthology series throughout sure. the years. Um, and I want to get your perspective on where they sit historically from your point of view as a person. Oh, you don't have you have to don't have to say as an editor or even no, I'm I'm thrilled to talk about them as an editor too. I mean, I listen, I think about editing comics all the time. I love it and I do it constantly. So I'll talk about it in whatever context you want to hear. So uh, these uh, seasonal specials came out in the midst of Marvel Comics Presents also being released at the same time. So uh, this is the first one that came out in 1990 and they branded it as a spring special. In other segments, we have covered how there's not very much springy about it. Uh, <laughs> there are just you know, an amalgamation of stories tossed in there. So talk to me about an anthology series and why it was a thing. Why was it around? Well, why were they around originally? Well, yeah. oof, I don't know if I know necessarily the original one. I know, I mean, I can talk to you about why they exist now. They're really tricky beasts, to be honest with you, because, well, I don't think uh, I'm saying things that is, are not, relatively well-known, but they don't always sell great. So sometimes they can be a hard sell, um, but they are extremely fun to do uh, in some ways, especially if you can find the right angle on them. And they also um, are a great place to try out new talent. Um, 
I think that's that's probably the b- biggest and best use for them is that you can whether it's new talent like new to the company entirely or it's even just new talent to you that people you've never worked with that you're like let me try see what it's like to work with this person see what it's, sure. see what they've got to to deliver. Um it's really neat to be able to test those out. Um what's weird is that of course nowadays a lot of uh, comic writers are not used to writing American comic writers, I should say, are not used to writing short stories. I know in uh, in England and Europe, like the folks who do work for the, um, I just forgot what it's called. <laughs> the really big, <laughs> the one with Judge Dredd in it. Come on. Here we what go. Is... <laughs> uh, we will just generalize and say some English publishers. The one AD, and I can't remember what it is. Is it 2080? I think it's I, I'm confused because that's the past and so that doesn't sound right, but I think that's what it is. Anyway, the point is, um, like folks who who came into comics that way, like that's what they hone their teeth on, writing short stories, writing six pages, writing yeah. like stuff like that. Um, and so they have that skill. That doesn't often happen in uh American comics. Um, so it is sometimes tricky for people to to shift from doing full length comics or even ongoing comics or miniseries or whatnot to let's do a real short story that's still really punchy. Um, I think though, I think though that that is the biggest reason. Well, to try out new talent, to try out co- uh, characters and concepts as okay. well. Back in the day, especially, they used to do a lot more. Do you think this character would be able to support a story? Well, let's try him out in an anthology book or in a, a round robin book and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Even going back to Marvel premiere and things right, exactly. like that, that is where you would say, all right, does this character stick or not? Yeah. Is um, Wood God going to work? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out no, but we tried. And that's where um, you could throw um, Son of Satan. For sure, sure. And sure. Um, it, it, he came up um, because Hellcat is in the issue that we cover in this episode. Okay. So okay. Hazzy Walker gets her own time to shine. Um, but Son of Satan, you, I don't think that Marvel would have put out a mainstream comic that was called Son of Satan every single month. It was safer no. to just plug in a few stories here and there and move on to something else. I think Adam Warlock started getting his own stories in in premiere as well if i remember I think correctly so. yeah um was which one was ghost rider was ghost rider in marvel spotlight i think ghost rider might have been marvel spotlight might have been um yeah so they used to have those but then as far as like the actual like big one shots i mean i definitely remember reading as a young person as a youngster reading some of the the christmas ones or or holiday ones i don't yep. remember which they called them at the time um oh i another one i remember is uh and i remember loving I don't remember what year this is from the impossible man summer special. Yes. I have that down in the basement somewhere. (laughs) I think they actually ended up doing two, but the first one was, I loved it so much. I read it 50 times. Absolutely adored it. Um, Obviously impossible. They all centered around impossible man. So they're all slightly silly stories, Mm -hmm. but there was one with him and like the Punisher and like one with him and Quasar and like, like all sorts of nutty, nutty heroes. And so that was a, a blast. Oh, and I guess now that I say that, the comedy books a lot of times were anthology books, right? Uh, obviously, what the when I was young mm-hmm. was a, was an anthology book from a certain point of view, and um, back in the old days, uh, not Brandech as well. Um, so there's been a lot. I mean, Marvel has done a lot of anthology books for a lot of reasons. Like I said, at this point, 
at this point, they can be a bit of a hard sell. Um, you really need to usually have some sort of really strong concept to to, to hang them on. I guess the most common one, I, I just, it occurs to me, the most common one that ones that we do nowadays are the Marvel Voices ones. Yes. And those are very specifically to bring new talent into uh, the organization and to and to explore characters who aren't getting the spotlight elsewhere. So, so that is doing exactly what we said they were they were made to do, and primed to do. Do um, you think that Marvel Unlimited also serves a similar role where they are shorter stories? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, we're because we're doing X Men Unlimited right now mm -hmm. uh, in the in the Marvel Infinity Comics, and that very much has been an anthology series, much like the. The book we took its name from, X Men Unlimited, back in the in the nineties, and yeah. I guess just the nineties didn't last through the two thousands. Um, yeah, that it was a place where we could go to explore um, different X stories, a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, the 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 ongoing and I not ongoing, but I mean recurring X Men Green story was a story that Jerry Duggan originally pitched me, and I went, "There's no way we could do that story. <laughs> There's just no possible way that's going to happen." And then. Marvel Unlimited or uh, X Men Unlimited came around, and we went. Well, maybe we maybe we can. Let's maybe let's give it a shot. Throw a whole lot of murder in here. <laughs> <laughs> but there's been some really fun stuff in there, like uh, that one. There's the one Jonathan did, the ones that uh, the one that um, Jason Liu did. The, the all the Madrox focused ones have mm -hmm. been really fun. There's been so many neat ones in there, and definitely stuff that definitely has been a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't see in like the main X Men book. Let's yeah. say. Um, for my part, the thing that I love doing with anthology is I, I I I like trying to do something a little interesting with it, something a little uh I don't want to say challenging like to the readers. I mean challenging to me <laughs> as an editor to 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 make it interesting. So a, a few of the anthologies that I have done that I really loved. Very recently, last year, in fact, we did one called Crypt of Shadows. Um, it oh, was, I loved Crypt of Shadows. I had a great time doing that one. And yeah, that was one where it was like, do a, do a uh, Halloween sp spooky themed yeah. October issue. Um, you know, use some of the classic Marvel horror characters, especially, you know, maybe that you might see on TV at that time, coincidentally. Yeah. Um, and so that was fun. But when I went to my my fellow ex-editors, I said, okay, I don't want to just do, here's six stories that have nothing to do with each other. I mean, they kind of don't have anything to do with each other. But we we decided, I decided, we you each of us can edit one. We can all do whatever we want for our story. And then I'm going to go to Al Ewing, who had very recently, so he had kicked off, as you mentioned, an unlimited comic called Strange Tales. And when I went to him on Strange Tales, I said, I want it to be very Tales from the Crypty in that I think we should make a new Marvel horror host. Yeah. Like, we don't have any horror hosts in Marvel right now. Um, let's make one. And he uh, dug up Victor Strange, Doctor Strange's evil brother, and turned him into one. And so then for, for Crypt of Shadows, I said, let's bring him back. And everybody else wrote their stories first and got them working on. And I gave all of those scripts from all those writers to Al and went, okay, here's all everybody else's stories, write a little frame story around them featuring, uh, featuring Victor introducing them. And he absolutely nailed it. He's, he's great at channeling. Al Ewing is great at channeling pretty much any style of comic that you could imagine. And he nailed that one. So that one was a blast. Um, another one that I anthology that I did that 
I am so thrilled with and so proud of how it turned out is the, okay, what did we call it? The Merry Xmas, no, the Merry X-Men holiday special from maybe four or five years ago. It was just before Jonathan's mm -hmm. uh, House of X, the, the, the December before. And again, it was just, hey, do an X-Men holiday special. You want to do one of those? And I went, yeah. And I was talking with my, the two editors, the two assistant editors I worked with at the time, Annalise uh, Bissa and uh, Chris Robinson. And all of a sudden, an inspiration hit me. I went, we've got 30 pages for this book. Let's do an advent calendar. Let's do 25 stories, the first 24 of which will be one-page stories taking place each one day of December and then culminating in a in a uh, issue in a 20 on the 25th, we'll get a five page story at the end. And the five page story can be a recurring story. Like we see, we follow a character on day one and then on day, et cetera, et cetera, like, like three or four times throughout. Mm -hmm. And, um, and not to pat myself on the back, but this was well before Marvel 1000 came into existence and, and did pretty much the same thing. <laughs> and again, I'm no, which is not a knock on that. Tom Brevoort yeah. obviously did an amazing job on that series. That's really awesome. But this was before that. I didn't rip that one off. We had the idea first, and we did it. And we we went to like a ton of different writers, and we went, yeah, you've got you've got you could do one page story about X Men in any capacity, but it has to take place on December seventeenth or whatever. Um, they didn't. We did. They didn't all know exactly what day they were going to be on, but. Um, it was a blast. It was. So, I'm so happy with the way that turned out. Uh, it was really, really fun. Uh, Chris uh, Chris Sims and um, Chad Bowers did the the ongoing story, which was about Jubilee getting kidnapped by Arcade and locked in a mall for the Christmas <laughs> for the entirety of December. Um, uh, and yeah, the whole thing was such a blast. And the other one that I did that I'm really happy with. You mentioned Marvel Comics Presents. I did the reboot of Marvel Comics Presents uh, a couple years back. And that was uh, to correspond with Marvel's 80th anniversary. And we did, I can't remember exactly how many, I don't know if we did eight issues or if we only did seven, but uh, I know what we did was we, I, I said, uh, let's do this so that each issue thematically, conceptually corresponds with one of the decades. And then within that, uh, there will be three different stories and each of them will so like three different okay so the three the three things were um one is going to be oh one was there was an ongoing wolverine story uh that charles soul wrote that that one it was just very straightforward wolverine lived through all these decades right. we're going to show an ongoing story where we see him in each of the decades bam easy um the next one was was a was a, a a difficult one. It turned out very challenging to do, but I, I'm very happy overall with how it turned out. Which was, um, we're going to have a Marvel story dealing with and or interacting with a historical event from that decade, which we didn't do back then for one reason or another. So, so in the first issue, Greg Pak did one uh, a Namor story that uh, about about Hiroshima, um, and. Uh, we did a civil rights Captain America one, mm -hmm. uh, which was, which was awesome. Um, so things like that. So that was really interesting. And then the third one was uh, a story that it doesn't take place in that decade, but a story that is focused on a character that debuted in that decade. Okay. Um, and that was, again, we like putting that limitation on them. It seems like limiting, but it was really neat 
it was really neat to go, let's make this series work in this way. And I'm, again, I'm really proud of it. Uh, like not a lot of people read it. I don't think it didn't sell super well, unfortunately, but I'm so happy with how it turned out. Uh, I'm, I was really thrilled. Yeah. And it sounds like that had more of a focus and you can really channel creative energy that way too, um, mm -hmm. by creating not a barrier, uh, or a box, but parameters to work within. Like yeah. this is your specific sandbox, have fun in it. And as someone who writes, it can be a fun challenge to find something within that sandbox and be like, okay, I'm going to do this with the material given to me. Um, so it it's, I think, far different from what Marvel Comics Presents was right. back in the 80s and 90s. And I was just looking up, in general, the Wikipedia page. And it gets down and it's not even a spreadsheet so much as a matrix because <laughs> <laughs> you have the four stories going on, but they're all going on at their own pace. Right. So um, you have an eight part story, you could have a 16 part story, and then you have one shots that are contained within eight pages and the balance of everything. I, I mean, you have the editor position, so you can speak to that. From the outside looking in, I would not have want to have been in control of any part of that in terms of scheduling and slotting, because what a logistical nightmare if anything fell behind. Um, and it, in another segment of the same episode, we sort of surmised that maybe these stories that made up this spring special were eight page stories that were just in a drawer in case. So if it something got behind, hey, we already have this story about Moon Knight that we can plug in if need be. That um, was definitely a thing that happened in the old days a lot. So uh, that is entirely possible. In regards to the the old Marvel Marvel Comics presents and the scheduling of that, I'm sure that that was the 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 disjointedness of the starts and stops was very deliberate in the sense that um, what did that run for? A hundred issues. Something like it, that. More, it ran for like 150 issues. It um, is. So yeah, it was an ongoing book. Yeah. And it, it was at a time when comics were doing great and it was able to sell really well. And I'm sure they were very specifically going, we want, the, the, don't ever let the stories end at the same time. Because you, if somebody's done with one story, they need to be caught up in the other story and going, yeah. but wait, now that I've read the end of this Captain America story, what's going on in this Spider-Man one? Like, I need to know so that they'll have to keep buying forever yeah. <laughs> until this entire series ends. Um, I, I'm trying to remember the ones that I, I remember from that, because I definitely bought some Marvel Comics Presents. The, the big one for me was I was a big Excalibur fan. That, and um, there's such a fun, I think it's eight parts that are in like the 20s and 30s. It's, it's, it's first of all, it's Excalibur. I love. Yeah. Um, it's Arcade that they fight who I absolutely love partially because of Excalibur in the first place. And it's actually drawn by Eric Larson, who is one of my favorite artists, probably my favorite, well, definitely my favorite Spider-Man artists of all time, but one of my favorite artists of all time across the board. So that in particular was one that I went completely nuts for. I don't, I don't, I, but the, that said, it didn't work on me. The, the keeping you buying forever. Cause when that series ended, I was like, yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm done. I don't remember a single other thing that was in those issues at all, but I have every single issue of it, of those because of the Excalibur part. Yeah. And it was really zany too, because it is arcade. Like there were toasters coming to life. 
the um, villains that he creates are all based on Looney Tunes characters. It's like are. a parody of Bugs Bunny and 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 Roadrunner and all of them. I just looked it up. It, volume one was 175 issues. I remember having one. It might have been issue 100 that I got that I think was a flip book. That there was one that like it had a, like a multi, multi-part story all in one thing. And uh and I, I'm pretty sure it was a, fl- a flip book. I could be yeah, mistaken. they uh, switched to that later in the run. So most of the issues had those covers where you would flip it over and it'd be oh, okay. an entirely different one to profile it. And I didn't know until I was reading through this, despite me having a ton of the issues in a short box, that Wolverine was really the center of it for a hundred or so issues, which makes sense with the environment in which it was being produced. I think I only found that out because again, I I I was not I'm I, I it's not like I disliked Wolverine, but I wasn't a Wolverine collector at that time, so I didn't right. know that either. I found that out when at some point we put out a collection of like Wolverine, the Marvel Comics present stories, and it was like a zillion of them, and I was like, oh yeah. my goodness, it's like a dictionary size. Yeah, yeah, book. yeah. It's 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 an it's a serious number of books, and that's and we knew that when we did the let's have Wolverine be the star of the the new series as well. Going that's that's a nod back to the classic for sure. Yeah, and um, even with the current X line, Wolverine has a large fan base. You're never oh, yeah. going to get away from Wol- Wolverine being a centerpiece of an X universe. Absolutely, um, he's st- he's so important to people, and yeah, well, he's a great character. I mean, is. he really is. Um, I, I, I've always, I, 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 like I said, I, it wasn't that I disliked Wolverine. That was never the case. Whenever he pops right. up in things, he was always super cool and interesting. Um, and he's he's all about, um, you know, he has a lot of contradictions in him that make him really fascinating. That he is, you know, this animalistic man um, who who is going to be overtaken by his rage. But like in some ways, that makes him like better at suppressing his rage and keeping himself human than anybody else. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I've always enjoyed a lot of stories with him. I just never, I just didn't become a, a, like a real constant collector of him when I yeah, was young. That's fair. Everyone has their own X-Men. Mine isn't Wolverine either. Um, and that sort of gets back to anthologies that there's always something that can draw someone in. And that's where the Voices series is, I think, really important because, like you said, you are giving an opportunity to creators who are from underrepresented populations, but Mm -hmm. you're also spotlighting characters so that people can see themselves. And it's a great proving ground for new character concepts as well. I mean, from the Pride issue last year, you had characters who are now in New Mutants. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that from the outside looking in of course that may be a reaction to how people responded to those characters in such an anthology series that you see oh wow there's a lot of potential here and people are seeing themselves in these characters absolutely and and that's a really important part of comics and um i think it's a great thing that marvel is doing um yeah um um, editors uh sarah brunstad uh darren shan uh, Lauren Amaro and back on the first uh, Marvel Voices book, Chris Robinson have done such a great job on those. Like absolutely, I mean, Sarah Brunstad kind of, kind of uh, uh, spearheads that campaign right now. But the, the, like I said, Darren and, and Lauren also have done stuff for it, like a ton of stuff for it. 
they do a really great job of reaching out to folks, getting people involved, getting a great group of talent involved and putting out really solid stories, really awesome stuff. And then um, afterwards, um, the rest of us in editorial uh, will talk about the books and like check out all of this new talent they brought in. And uh, when, like a ton of people have moved on to ongoing gigs as a result of them. Uh, it's been really, really great. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you probably can't speak to it. I would love, though, if another Crypt of Shadows came about and it was an Me annual too. thing. Um, I would love that, too. It seemed like the first one did pretty well. I don't know if you noticed, we did a really nutty thing because the first one did pretty well and it sold out. Uh, and this was uh, uh, David Gabriel, our, uh, the head of the uh, uh, sales department, uh, suggested this to us. But they were like, oh, do a second printing, but it's going to come out in December. So can you like take the original cover and like make it wintry. <laughs> and so we did, we went back to uh, Lineal U and said, like, can you like put like scarves and hats on them and maybe like a little snow? And they were, he was like, yeah, sure. And he did a little patch. And so the second printing of it is, is all the same monsters, but a little bit winterized. That's great. Uh, I didn't even notice that <laughs> because I got weird. it the sure. first week it came out. So now I need to pick up the second printing because there's nothing wrong with the second printing at no. all in the industry so i'm so glad that it was received so well yeah i'd um, love to do another one fingers crossed for this year that'd be great yeah and uh, i'm a collector of the reprint horror series from the 70s mm. um where you didn't and i guess they were an anthology series in their own right um not with superheroes though you had uh, just one-off stories that were always tales of caution. I sure, think. sure. Like what? What titles are we talking about here? Oh, I, I mean the original Crypt of Shadows. Um, sure. All like monsters on the prowl. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those that took the material from the fifties, and they're like, okay, we'll we'll print two of these stories, and sometimes you get a new story from a writer in the seventies that they would plug into. Um, and I think some of those. Issues are really, really good for the content. Some of them are exceptional for the covers. However, mm -hmm. I mean, the art on any horror cover produced from the 50s through the 70s, if we're talking comic books, novels, anything like that, um, the artist did a beautiful job. Um, if we're talking novels, a lot of the time they were painted sure. and then used on paperbacks. And um, that's how you sold a horror comic back in the day was you need a cover to draw people in. Is there going to be a skull? Are there candles? Um, is there someone in deep shadow in the background? Draw them in, make a story of one picture and make people buy that comic. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I didn't read a ton of those. Um, oddly enough, like my, so I, my father read comics and so I got a bunch of his stuff at some point in my life, but he didn't really read a lot of the, especially the Marvel horror ones. There was a random smattering of DC ones like um, the witching hour. I'm trying to remember what other ones there were. I, I can't remember a lot of them, um, but I was always much more into the superheroes. So I didn't pay as much attention to them. Even the ones he did have. Um, I, what I think was fun about, about doing this crypt of shadows is that we did get to do a little bit of horror and a little bit of superheroes at the same time that we, mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's what's the fun of, of the Marvel universe to me is how um, completely disparate you can do the, the different styles of stories and, and, and tones of stories that, that the same uh, universe where, you know, 
Craven's last hunt is happening is the same universe where the awesome slapstick takes place. Yeah. Um, and they're sometimes they'll meet each other characters from both of those things. And that's weird and nutty, but really fun. And I'm glad that, I mean, not that this is really super relevant, but I'm glad that they have been able to kind of tap into that a bit with the the MCU. Um, I want them to tap into it even more because that's to me, the, the real fun of it is how versatile it is. Um, but but yeah, the fact that we got to do that um, in in Crypt of Shadows, the the story I edited, other than the Al Ewing frame story, was the Adam Warren story, which I I'm a huge Adam Warren fan, and I don't get to work with him very much. Um, and uh, he reached out to me. I think he reached out to me to say like, if you look at like <laughs> the record of our career together, working together, we've worked together like just about every three years for since I started at Marvel. <laughs> and he was like, so it's been about three years since Venom the End. You want, you got something? And I was like, yes, actually I do. You want to do a, a horror-ish story? And he was like, absolutely. And he turned in such a nutty one, the, uh, the Laura Kinney Wolverine versus Man-Thing story. And I love it. I yeah, love it. Fighting forever. Writing forever. <laughs> I mean, he, he he also did not. Well, I guess it is. I guess it sort of is an anthology in a way. The the previous thing I worked with him on was was like I said, Venom: The End, um, and that was part of a. So to call it an anthology is a little weird, but it was a, a series of one shots that me and Chris Robinson did that were all the end, meaning they were ostensibly the last story of such and such character and we made marvel had done them before a long time ago but we did ones let's do characters they didn't do that time so we did venom miles morales deadpool um captain marvel uh, one or two others that i'm forgetting off the top of my head captain america and um for the venom one uh i remember thinking oh man donny cates is in the middle of this epic venom run that is like you know turning venom on its head and doing huge things with him how do i do a venom the end during that um that isn't either a just kind of like doing that like going like oh let's just do what donnie's doing but also like how do we do something that doesn't get in the way of it or contradict it or any of those things and so when i thought of wait a minute let me see what adam has on this because i knew that adam warren if you're familiar with him at all he will do something you will never predict. He will go in a direction that no other human being on earth would go. And he did. Uh, and it's funny, I, I say no other human being on earth would go, but that's a little bit ironic because then when Donnie's uh, run ended, I think Al Ewing actually is kind of going in a similar direction <laughs> that Adam went in uh, in the end. Um, not Not on purpose. It's not like he read that and went, oh, let me do that. He absolutely pitched it before he ever read Adam's story. But uh, I, I do remember telling him like that you should check out what Adam did because it's actually kind of similar and you can either use it or not use it, um, if whatever you think, but you should check it out. Anyway, see, I told you I, I will digress. Yeah. I told you I will go off on a total tangent, no, although if we're here for Peter David, but I digress is a, an appropriate thing to do. Right? And uh, connecting to the, the Lego conversation, um, <laughs> uh, wonderful video game that is meant for all ages is marvel superheroes 2 i think it is i have started that one i um, i we we my my son uh was given a a playstation disc of a compilation of three it's got mm -hmm. marvel superheroes one two and uh, avengers in the middle and we did play through all the levels in one and we actually started playing too. Um, and it is fun. And I was extremely excited 
because Gwenpool was in it, which yes. I was not expecting at all. Oh, they're <laughs> the roster of characters they have in that game. I think it's now been exceeded by the remaster of the Lego Star Wars game. Yeah, it's a, no- a crazy number of characters. In that, um, yeah. But the deep dives, I was I texting Chad from Grey Malkin while we were playing it one night. And I'm like, we just unlocked Hell Cow. it's just uh, again it's marvel so there's a bit of everything in there where it can be uh, hell cow and then someone like gwenpool and they never would really cross paths normally i could see it (laughs) yeah well especially yes um but you can just do so many different combinations like my go-to is dormammu because he's so powerful so yeah 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 um it, it is again a big melting pot of a a creative game that keeps you on your toes so i encourage you to start unlocking some of that stuff yeah we should go back and play that more me my son and i play the we're very i mean we've been playing the lego star wars one for since it came out we, we got it like almost immediately and um we're very far along we have like 900 something of the 1200 kyber crystals you can get um so we we lit, we were playing that earlier tonight. I think my my like go to my my go to character my character that I spend ninety percent of my time in until I get to a thing that tells me to switch to another kind of character is is Sith Ray evil Sith Ray from the one <laughs> fantasy sequence in Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker by far not even close to my favorite. I'm not a huge fan of it. But the fact that they have playable Sith Ray and she even has dialogue like she even says some things. Wow. Uh, makes me so happy and i just play her all the time (laughs) yeah you you find those characters that just work for your style of play and you go for it that's right i'm evil now she says (laughs) (laughs) and you're like you you go ray you go (laughs) so ridiculous i adore it so as we wrap up um Mm -hmm. in our main podcast when we're not doing episodes like this we are getting into X Factor right around issue 210. So we have about 50 issues left. Oh my gosh, 210. Okay. Uh, let me look this up. It is right after um, Monet comes back from South America. So, like, I'm having a hard time remembering. Like, so, so X Factor, that's 210. So it's the numbering from the original. Yes. So after Run. issue wow. 50 of X Factor investigations, then they switched back to the original numbering right okay 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 i remember that now yep i remember that now so actually hold on was i on this then no i don't think i was 210 i was not on it at the time um but it's around that time that i would have uh jumped onto it so what advice do you have to listeners who may not be familiar with the end of this series should they buckle up Oh Should. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, is this before uh, this is this, so this is before, like I said, I think this is before I ever came on the series and I wasn't, I was, it was in the interim between my runs on that series when they, when Peter did the thing where he was like, I promise every issue will have a like jaw dropping, astonishing time. And that he delivered. He did. He absolutely delivered on every issue, making you go like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, it was really, really awesome. Um, also I got to edit the end of the series, like I said, um, which absolutely has a thing that I am proud of because Peter 
wanted to do a thing that he said he had pitched before and no one ever wanted to let him do. And I went, you know what, Peter, I'm going to let you do it. I will tell you it's about what it's about, but I won't reveal it because I don't want to spoil it for people. Yeah. It's about the origin of Longshot. All right. I'm really excited that we got to deliver on what Peter wanted to do with the origin of Longshot. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back on once we wrap the series as well. So you can sure, give some thoughts to. on the process. And sure. um, I really hope that, you know, Peter makes a full recovery and mm. you get him back to maybe revisit some of the aspects of X-Factor Investigations too. That's something I've really enjoyed seeing is him coming back and um, writing Joe Fixit and yep. Yep. Um, even contributing to a two-issue arc on Marvel Legends or not Marvel Legends, X-Men Legends last Legends, year. Yeah. yeah, honestly, him coming back and doing a, I mean, he was always so good at the, that that, that initial Madrox mini, right? Where it yeah. was like, just that kicked it all off, that where it was a mystery, like having him come back and doing another Madrox mystery book set back in the day, that would be amazing. I would absolutely go for that. Yeah. So thank you so much, Jordan. Where can people find you if you want to be found? Yeah, I'm not on I'm not on social media so much anymore. I'm off Twitter. I mean, technically my account's yeah. still there, but I never ever go on it. You don't um, need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm sick of it. But um, like you said, uh, Nature Trail to Hell is the podcast that I do. It's definitely available on like, uh, well, it's definitely available on Apple Podcasts. I'm not sure all all of which apps it's on, but it's on a bunch of them. Uh, if you search for that, it's me and uh, uh, my friend Stefan uh, talking about horror movies, which is a lot of fun. Um, aside from that, just in the comics, All right. <laughs> you can read X-Men comics and I've got and see your a hand name every yep. single issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. And we will have you back most definitely. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm.